Welcome to the Sheila Kama Extractive Podcast. I'm pleased today to welcome Chris Marolain as my guest on the Extractive Podcast. Chris is the Executive Director of Good Governance Africa, an organization with offices in South Africa, Nigeria, and Ghana. He is a leading applied policy and corporate affairs practitioner with across-the-board experience in the private sector in areas of telecommunications, media, and research. Chris's core skills are in public policy, governance, reputation management, strategic communication, and stakeholder engagement, among others. I have had the pleasure of knowing Chris and look forward to our conversation today. Chris, welcome to the Sheila Kama Extractive Podcast. Thank you so much. It's such a privilege to be with you on your program. Thank you. So I thought you would help us uh, essentially set the scene. Please tell us what we mean by ESG. Well, uh, Sheila, ESG represents um, uh, principles that relate to the way in which uh, businesses, uh, specifically uh, for this instance in the extractive industry, conduct themselves and how they engage with the societies that they operate in to create uh, shared value. So the E part talks about the environment and the impact that um, organizations have. Um, It is towards greater sustainability. It is towards having a lighter footprint on the environment. The S represents issues related to their social engagement, how these organizations effectively uh, engage with the communities and societies that they impact. It is believed that this engagement should be one uh, that is grounded on building and being a partner for development in these societies and not just a net extractor of value. The G part really talks to governance concerns. And here uh, we broaden it away from just issues related to corporate governance and regulatory affairs. We basically say that governance talks about who gets what, when and how. It's about this authoritative allocation of resources. Do they engage in transparent and accountable uh, operations that are in the interest of the societies that they impact? Hmm. Uh, you've said a mouthful. So I'm going to try and follow up on a few of those. So if I understand you really, ESG has the different components, uh, one dealing with the physical environment, one with the social, and then one dealing with institutions of how this value that we extract is shared equitably. Oh, I mean, it, it seems self-evident why these things are important. Can I suggest that you speak to us about why these three component parts are important, especially in my area of interest, which is uh, in the extractives? You see, Sheila, they're important because it talks about how uh, organizations in the extractive industry conduct themselves and how they position themselves as a partner for development and how, in essence, they can mainstream these components into their operations, not because it's a good to have, but it's a must have because it's good for business. 
ultimately it talks to the way in which these organizations by adopting these principles relating to uh, their conduct with relation to the environment, society, and the way in which they establish governance institutions can become a good corporate citizen that is not just there in it for itself, but really identifies themselves as a crucial partner for development in these communities. Hmm. So, you know, we, we also have in the past spoken a lot about this notion of sustainability. So in the big scheme of things, what then is the difference between ESGs and sustainability or for that matter, how do they relate? Yeah, in, in actual fact, they relate very strongly because we believe that when organizations in the uh, extractive industry apply these principles related to ESG, that it is not just good for uh, the communities in the form of uh, sort of creating shared value, but in actual fact, it sustains the operations of this organization into a much longer time span. It sustains it and makes it a central part of the development nexus, not just for the profit or for the organization in the extractive sector, but really for uh, the jurisdictions in which uh, extractive uh, industry uh, players operate. So you've spoken about the social environment and then you've spoken about the jurisdictions. So when we think of the social environment, we think primarily of uh, the community. In other words, the, the, those in the proximity of the project. But of course, when we speak about a jurisdiction, that broadens to the uh, sovereign entity. Yes. Where's the divide? I mean, where is the emphasis in terms of ESG? Is the emphasis in, in the actual uh, social environment in the vicinity or a certain mess? And, and how, do we, you know, how do we understand that nuance? It's, 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 it's a good point to make. However, I think one entry into your question is to say that increasingly as we move uh, and, 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 and develop strategic minerals that will drive the fourth and the fifth industrial um, uh, revolution, these strategic minerals are often found in fragile jurisdictions or rather in countries uh, that experience bad governance. So in essence, it means that the conduct of the uh, extractive industry players in these fragile jurisdictions is important in that they cannot uh, operate in fragile jurisdictions as if it's the Wild West. They must have recourse uh, to uh, their environmental impact. They must understand what their role is in trying to develop strong and resilient uh, communities, not just in the immediate proximity of where they operate, but really in the national scheme of things in these jurisdictions. What's also yes. very important is that the governance aspects in these very fragile uh, jurisdictions on their part must lead to operations that follow uh, regulatory best practices even though they don't exist in these fragile jurisdictions or there's no capacity to enforce them by the sovereign governments. So the ESG component effectively also says and ensures investors 
in the extractive industry, that these players who follow ESG principles conduct themselves well, especially in these fragile jurisdictions. Yeah, this is very interesting because uh, if I understand you correctly, what we are now seeing is an, an acknowledgement that the regulatory capacity nor the governance uh, uh, is not always in place in countries where mining oil and gas production takes place. And, and so the ESG, if I understand you, seeks mm. to provide a framework around which regardless of the environment in which these companies find themselves, there is an accepted yardstick yep. by which their conduct can be monitored and by which they can comply and be sure that regardless of the environment, they, they can stand to scrutiny. But it does raise another question, doesn't it, Chris, which is to say, mm -hmm. are we not risking therefore replacing sovereign governments with ESG standards? And if so, where does, does that leave governance itself and politics and all things that uh, are typically in the purview of uh, our host governments? It's an excellent point. Um, in actual fact, I would say it is the converse, Sheila, where uh, by introducing these ESG uh, principles, we actually understand that within the governance framework, this framework on who determines who gets what, when and how, corporates, especially in the mining sector, in this industry, have to understand that it is not just incumbent on sovereign states uh, to introduce regulations, but it is good business, sustainable business for uh, these uh, extractive industry players uh, to introduce these principles because they are a crucial part of the governance nexus in that they must be seen as partners for development. They create jobs, their procurement principles also allow uh, the economy uh, to grow in the sense that uh, various other organizations uh, can benefit from these procurement practices. But more importantly, that the societies in which they operate in can benefit, for example, from uh, energy production, water, uh, the establishment of very safe and uh, let's call it uh, good living standards in terms of housing and security in those environments. So, so, so far you and now have uh, stayed with the conceptual. Uh, your core business is good governance. So could you share with uh, the Sheila Comics that we podcast followers, what some of these governance concepts are tangibly in the ESG space? What can we expect in the governance space specifically? Yes, so it, it basically says that the expectation is that when you adopt ESG principles that you mainstream into the institutional framework of your organization, uh, not just at the corporate affairs level, but really into the operations metrics of the organization principles that ensure that, for example, the environmental impact of your uh, operations is minimized in that it allows uh, for reclaiming of uh, areas that have been uh, impacted or affected 
by mining operations, that the utilization of uh, scarce resources like water is done in ways that benefits uh, the environment in the long term and not degrades the scarce resource. We also say that in terms of our governance framework, um, the reporting in terms of uh, demonstrating how shareholder value is uh, uh, delivered to the societies that are impacted by the operations becomes part and parcel of the institutional culture of the organizations in the uh, extractive sector. So it is not just a good to have, but it's a must have because ESG leads to good business. It also leads to assurances from investors uh, in the extractive sector that fair practices and good practices that do not degrade the environment, that do not harm uh, the societies in which they operate are carried out by these organizations. So basically what we are, you are saying is that uh, governance ceases to be a compliance instrument. It's, it becomes uh, a, the corporate DNA and it permeates all aspects of a company's operations and, and becomes the ethos that governs the way companies conduct themselves. Would that be correct? Excellent. Well said, Sheila. It is absolutely the, the case. And uh, if companies don't do this, ultimately it becomes a tick box uh, exercise that is really related, as you say, to regulatory compliance. And ultimately it is not uh, embedded into the core fabric of the operation and culture of these organizations. So, so that was the governance side. What about uh, addressing social aspects? How should investors in the new dispensation of ESG be thinking about the social environment in a way that would be different from uh, previous uh, eras? This is a great question. And I think we can use a case study here uh, to, to show us maybe how uh, when organizations do not consider their social impact, this leads to real grievances in society. The case of Cabo Delgado comes to mind, uh, where there is a massive uh, LNG investment. However, what the sad thing about this investment is, is that it has excluded the very society that is present and impacted by this investment in the sense that the grievances that have led to uh, this violent extremism that we see in places like Cabo Delgado arise from grievances uh, from uh, disenchanted youths who believe that their impact and how uh, they uh, can be mainstreamed into this investment has not been considered and that they are ultimately excluded so in the midst of this huge investment, uh, there are uh, large swathes of society who uh, therefore find themselves disenfranchised and as outsiders and not considered as crucial shareholders in the shared value that must be created in such investments. So the social impact and the way in which 
we uh, bring the opportunities to societies uh, where such investments are made in the extractive sector is crucially important because it creates ownership on the part of these societies when we mainstream them and consider them to be shareholder number one, really. Mm. So, of course, uh, you are referring to the offshore uh, development and the Indian coast, the Indian Ocean coastline of Mozambique, for those who might not be immediately familiar. But, but the interesting point is not really physical where this is, because you could have used many other case studies all over the world. The interesting thing is this, that though the LNG deposits in the Indian Ocean, there are potentially economically and socially uh, transformational. By leaving or, or creating a sense among others that they will not share in the benefit, the risk is that the entire uh, country might be deprived of exploiting this resource and transforming the lives of many more. And so, you know, by not treating a, uh, a few in a way that they expect, the result is that the many may well suffer. But, but you used an interesting term. You said the youth believe, which suggests a perception, which may be real or not real. Mm. My question to you, Chris, is in this space of perception, how do extractive companies balance dealing with the reality of what's things on the ground versus perception in the knowledge that perceptions matter? Yeah, and, and this really talks to a, a very robust stakeholder engagement framework, which must be instituted by organizations when they enter into markets, especially in fragile jurisdictions. What tends to happen, Sheila, is that um, people in corporate affairs uh, reach out uh, to uh, the chief or the headman in the area, and they believe that is uh, sufficient enough stakeholder engagement. When in actual fact, what is required is for organizations to really understand that stakeholders uh, beyond just the uh, established traditional leaders or governors of that area are uh, people within the population group in the immediate vicinity of these operations. A failure to engage them and to understand what their expectations are and how they can be mainstreamed into uh, the overall investment uh, leads to the kind of grievances and perceptions and uh, negative perceptions uh, that we see and characterize many such investments. That's interesting. So I'm going to... Uh refocus the conversation slightly differently. So uh, for, for a lay person like myself, just observing this notion of ESG, whether it's the principles, the rating agencies, uh, et cetera, et cetera, seems to me to be driven very much by the winds uh, from the global north. <laughs> Assuming uh, that I'm correct, how desirable is this for citizens of the South who also want to have a voice on the global stage and an opportunity to bring influence to bear in terms of how the whole world is uh, uh, ordered socially or economically? How, how desirable is, is this push coming from the North? Is it just one more thing that the Southerners must consume and mass? 
you know, that, that, that is the perception held by many, Sheila. And, you know, when you look at uh, the, the debate, especially following, you know, uh, COP26 um, last year in, in November, uh, questions around the just energy transition come to mind and how uh, basically the extractive industry can be leaders in um, really pushing this debate from simply being something that is pushed from the North onto the South, but really mainstreaming this into the way in which we transition away from uh, high carbon uh, energy uh, sources uh, towards renewables. And this really talks to the E part of the, the ESG. I think the debate here has also uh, posited, uh, unfortunately, the South, who um, ultimately uh, still uh, rely heavily on, let's call it, uh, high carbon uh, sort of fuels and energy sources, um, and have not really pivoted uh, to the uh, have not pivoted to uh, let's call it renewable energies and it has resulted in a kind of mistrust uh, by the south that uh, the, the main impacts of uh, the use of fossil fuels and energies that uh, are non-renewable is most likely to impact the global south more however these emissions are mainly generated in the more industrialized north it creates an imbalance uh, socially. And that's why it's important that the extractive sector in particular shows some leadership in trying to address this imbalance in terms of impact and ultimately emissions. Mm. Uh, I mean, it, it, I'm gonna turn that question on, it, on its head and, and because I'm reminded of uh, a saying that I read in a book uh, some uh, time ago, which says, if you don't act, you run the risk of others acting upon you. Is, it this, is, is this a case in point? Are, are regional leaders, whether they are in the civil society space, the political, or even uh, commercial space, are regional leaders in the South a bit slow and lagging in the spirit of social enterprise? Uh, which is why we find ourselves in a situation in which others are leading and we have followed. Is it mm -hmm. their fault that they are quick off the mark? What stops us, uh, Chris, from being equally quick off the mark and coming up with ingenious ways of what the new world order should look like and pushing them to the north? Yeah, you know, and, 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 and when you look at uh, one of the, the main things, which is around funding, uh, South Africa's sort of just transition partnership with um, people in the developed North, like the US, Britain, the EU, France, and Germany, is really set to mobilize 131 billion in concessional loans and grants uh, to finance South Africa's decarbonization. So um, it, it's also a case that the, the transition to renewable sources comes at a huge cost to the uh, underdeveloped South. And unless the developed world really uh, acts in these ways by uh, providing concessional loans and grants that help to finance this decarbonization or just transition, um, many countries in the less developed South have very little incentive 
uh, to transition to a more carbon neutral future. Mm. The, uh, are ESGs replacing uh, regulatory frameworks given the momentum that they have gained? Uh, I mean, look at uh, the actions of BlackRock by simply saying, we won't fund you unless you demonstrate you have a strategy for ESGs. Or the United States Security Ex and Exchange Commission now embedding uh, ESG reporting uh, into the regulatory requirements. Yeah. By definition, these multinationals coming to Africa and other places are essentially regulated uh, in their home territory this way. I mean, what, what is the waiting here? Are we seeing increasingly that uh, the ESGs may well replace, uh, you know, national laws in terms of the weighting that uh, investors attach to them. Yeah, absolutely, and and I think uh, performance is becoming, or rather, ESG performance is clearly becoming a critical tool through which um, firms or the extractive industry accesses capital. So historically, ESG consideration have been uh, ignored because unethical firms prefer to externalize social environmental costs and deterrence against such behavior were, were insufficient. Uh, and these were mainly in the form of uh, regulatory structures. So this led to wide scale environmental degradation and really human rights abuses. So yes, in one way, they, the, 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 the national legislation and regulatory frameworks are being uh, replaced increasingly by ESG performance criteria uh, because uh, extractive uh, companies understand that in order to access, um, let's call it capital, uh, for these investments in the extractive industry, they must increasingly demonstrate in the jurisdictions that they come from that they uh, exercise uh, ESG principles in their operations. Hmm. So, so what I'm seeing and, and hearing, listening to you, is that uh, companies are very adaptable and companies have the capacity to adjust if, if only for enlightened self-interest. Yes. But not necessarily that there's an inherent belief. Does that then suggest the risk that as long as this manages the risk of not raising capital or the risk of not securing the license to operate, mm -hmm. companies will comply. But that really there's no belief until we find another novel idea, companies will stick with this and then move later. I mean, is this a constant moving uh, landscape in terms of what companies are expected to, or is this the end? If we get this right, ESG says, is, is, is where it will end. Indeed, Sheila, I think it's, it's it, it, what we're trying to say here, we proponents of ESG is that it must be embedded into the, the culture of the organization. And in reality, when this happens, ESG may yet prove to be a market disciplining tool that incentivizes firms to internalize the cost of traditional negative, uh, negative externalities, uh, really to minimize the risks that have often been overlooked in the extractive industry. So especially in, in um, fragile mining jurisdictions, ESG management has become increasingly important 
for operating responsibly and effectively. So uh, this, this context where we say ESG might be that market disciplining tool is, is, is really a, a positive development in the extractive industry. So let's see if we can uh, project into uh, the future. Uh, when you think about the place in which we are now, decarbonization, ESGs, uh, social and economic justice, uh, can you perceive a post ESG environment? And if so, what do you think it looks like? Or there is no such thing, we will just keep evolving and trying to improve around the same concepts. I think, you know, as, as, as long as we realize that there is a significant need for organizations to reduce the environmental impact, uh, to add towards uh, generating greater social justice in societies in which they operate, and really to establish sound uh, frameworks uh, in terms of their own internal compliance uh, that create uh, the impetus for a better world. Um, we won't necessarily see a post-ESG world, in my view, but we'll see enhanced uh, considerations around principles related to these uh, three uh, components of ESG, environment, uh, society, and, and really governance. It also will move firms towards in investing in stronger governance and institutional capacity uh, to overcome uh, the challenges of inadequate infrastructure, ineffective and uncertain regulatory environments, and the lack of transparency and accountability, poor governance, and a lack of public participation in these decision-making processes. So it, it, it's, it's good business, this ESG stuff, Sheila. I like the way you say, because I think so too. I was going to ask you, because a, a lot of what you, you, you were saying, I mean, it's good business in the policy sense, but it's also good business in the commercial sense, because of yeah. course, whenever you have this, you unlock uh, potential areas of service and capacity building. So we don't begrudge it in a world in which we want growth and we want uh, to create uh, opportunities. But I did want to ask you, um, going back to the North versus the South, in your experience, how much traction has there been in the South and how well placed are firms in the South to benefit from this ESG industry, whether it is ESG rating, whether it's impact assessment, whether it's uh, ESG risk assessment, mm. how quick have firms in the South been in also profiting from the advent of uh, ESG related business? There are a few ex exceptional cases of organizations, you know, that have uh, really embraced uh, the whole concept of ESG. So, uh, you know, we can't paint the whole industry with one brush. However, having said so, my assessment is that many um, in uh, the commercial space in our extractive industry have been slow uh, to uh, adopt um, these uh, ESG principles uh, into their operations, especially in fragile contexts. So uh, I, I think what we should be saying is how can we encourage um, these companies to take their social and environmental responsibility roles more seriously 
And, and more importantly, how do we shape investment decisions in a way that really values long run returns over short term profits? You know, if we can really think of, of, of it in that very hardcore commercial sense, we begin to see that ESG, in actual fact, as we've been saying all along, Sheila, is really good for business. And, and it's really good to ensuring that sound decisions are made that create long-term sustainability of organizations and ultimately place uh, these partners uh, for development in the corporate space as sound corporate partners. So it, it's, uh, it's interesting that you emphasize that because I think actually if we think of uh, ESGs and its own sustainability as uh, a framework mm-hmm. for uh, you know, fostering inclusive development, it's best, isn't it, if it is seen by companies as a tool for value proposition to their stakeholders rather than something that they are forced to do. Because it does allow companies to be able to now have a collective framework around which they can engage society, they can engage governments, they can engage the elite, they can engage uh, communities in yeah. a way that uh, is standardized globally and in a way that allows third parties to look into the operations of a company and say, yes, we can yeah. vouch based on these principles that are universally held for better or for worse, that this company is worth the social license you've granted to them. I, my sense is that seen that way, it does become a, a potentially very strong value proposition. But you know, you and I have spoken now about the context of extractives in the interest of not uh, leaving any doubt in the minds of the Sheila Kama Extractive podcast followers. ESG is not an extractive uh, issue, is it? It's not only an extractive issue <laughs> uh, because we, we, we say that um, at, at Good Governance Africa, so it's, it's our considered view that businesses, even outside of the extractive industry, which mainstream ESG principles authentically into their core business strategy will do better than their competitors in the long run. And I think there's evidence of this increasingly uh, being demonstrated, not just in the extractive sector, but in other uh, corporate settings. So we, we, we are very determined to aid our private sector uh, partners uh, um, in terms of their decision-making towards enhancing uh, environmental, social, and governance performance as crucial criteria uh, that can help them uh, become more competitive and more profitable. Yeah, uh, I would have thought that uh, you stand in a distinct position of advantage as an African institution, especially when it comes to the traditional governance aspects, but also the capacity of uh, organizations like Good Governance Africa to disaggregate the social aspects of the environment in a way that uh, a foreign entity conducting business in Africa might not be able to. So you have my very best wishes, Chris, and thank you very much uh, for spending time with the Sheila Kama Extractive Podcast. I have learned a lot from our conversations. Thank you. Oh, Sheila, it is always a privilege to talk to you. And 
Uh, it was great having this uh, wide ranging conversation on ESG. Thank you.